Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Last week, I told you that whenever I was in Guatemala, I ended up, because of my semi-proficiency in Spanish, I went with uh, Rolando, who is George Cisneros down in Guatemala, our missionary. Rolando is like his right-hand man and uh, kind of the caretaker. He teaches a Bible study and all of this stuff. And we were helping build a, uh, a room onto a one-room house. This was a husband and wife that had nine kids and there's one room. And the kitchen was basically a lean-to with tin that y'all wouldn't have used for a picture frame. And they were using it for a roof and the smoke would just come in. And it was, it was just horrible, horrible living conditions. We were tearing the old kitchen out. Uh, I spent about two hours that morning with a sledgehammer in my hand, busting down a concrete stove, which is just basically like a concrete barbecue pit, if you will, just, you know, kind of a square box that you throw wood into and it had a a plate on it that they would cook and it was just miserable living conditions and so we tore all that out and then I was told that we were going to move material from the road up to the house well when they told me that that morning I'm like okay well you know it's going to be right there and we're going to move it over here oh heck no no, it was down one mountain and up the other side. And, you know, I told you that my very first trip down the mountain and back up the other mountain was, was with a hundred pound sack of concrete. And I didn't make it. I mean, I threw it on my shoulder like a sack of feed and I made it down the mountain and had to take a breather. And I made it about 50 yards from the top of the next mountain before you got to the little house. And I had to put the concrete down because, you know, you start seeing those little fairies, those little fuzzy stars out here on the edge of your vision. And I thought, man, if I don't set this thing down and take a breath, I'm just going to fall out. And this was on the very first trip. And we've got like 16 sacks to move. And then when we get done with that, we've got a whole stack of clay bricks. And I'm not talking about the little bricks we use in the United States that has the three holes in them. No, I'm talking about these handmade clay bricks solid about like this that we had to go down that mountain and up the other side to the house and it was just the hardest morning I've never worked that hard in my life not for that extended amount of time and so anyway George came to get us for lunch me and Rolando so we hiked 15 minutes you know, back up the other way to meet George at the road. And we went to the academy and I go walking in the, uh, the academy and I am absolutely spent. I mean, I, I can't hardly put one foot in front of the other. Ty being, you know, as gracious as he is, he goes, the heck's the matter with you? (laughs) And I'm like, dude, and I just like pour my heart out to him. He hugs me. No, he didn't hug me. It wasn't that bad, but like, I mean, I was just like, I was spent. I mean, I cannot tell you how exhausted I was. And so we sat there and we ate this good, good meal that these Guatemalan ladies had fixed for all the boys at the academy and us and sat there and I drank, I don't know how many little cups like y'all are drinking coffee. And I bet I had 70 
of those little cups of water. And all I can think about is what I had done. And I was just thanking God because there was like a 75% chance of rain that day. And there's absolutely no way that you could have made it down that mountain and up the other side because it's kind of a clay slick. I mean, it was slick because it had, it had rained 24 hours before. And uh, so I was thanking God for the rain coming in that day. I didn't know what we'd do. I thought we might go visit some families or something. But all I could think about was eating my food, drink my 70 glasses of water. And then I needed, I could not wait to get out of those filthy clothes, get in the shower and have Ty rub my feet. I mean, that's all I could think about. That's all I could think about. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And so anyway, so we're sitting there and George is sitting there with us. And I mean, he's hearing the story and he's like, man, I didn't really realize it was going to be like that. And I was like, no, man, it was good, but man, I am exhausted. So, you know, we eat and we're visiting about other things and we get done. And George is like, well, what do y'all think about, what do y'all want to do this afternoon? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know what I want to do. And George is like, well, it's only about 1.30. So uh, I guess you and Rolanda will go back and move the rest of that material. And my heart sank. I am not kidding you. <laughs> Ty saw the look on my face. I have a mental picture of what it was, bawling, crying. <laughs> I mean, but I had like this 45 minute conversation with myself, kind of like the devil on one, on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And, you know, part of me just wanted to pull the save the cowboy founder pastor card and go, I ain't going back, dude. <laughs> like it's supposed to rain and, you know, make up all these excuses. And the other side of me told, told me to suck it up. And so in about two seconds, I said, well, isn't it supposed to rain? And George said, well, if it starts raining, I'll come get you. So I took a deep breath. And before I could cry, say no, plead my case, I said, let's do it. And so me and Rolando got back in the truck and George drove us over there. And for the next four hours, I only made about four trips that morning up and down that mountain. For the next four hours, I made eight trips with 75 pound bags of wet sand up and down a mountain up or down one mountain up the other dump it out die be resurrected go down back up get more sand come back dump your sand die get resurrected there is resurrection after death but I remember like probably on the of the eight trips it was probably on number six like I didn't have anything left whenever I started and, and how I kept going was literally one step at a time. I, I figured out that I couldn't look up to where I was going because it just kept getting further away. So I would literally just like hold the sack closed with this hand, grab the corner of this one, bow my head and just say one step, just take one more step, one more step. And in each step, I didn't think I could take another one. And before I knew it, I'd get to the top and so on about the sixth trip, a verse came to mind. And I was thinking, it's Paul, whenever he said, for I am a slave to Christ. And so for the next, like that trip and another one, all I kept thinking was, I'm a slave for Christ. 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 George sent me a picture uh, last week after I'd got back. And he showed me all the progress that they had made. And if you want to see it, I'll show it to you. But uh, 
of everything that they made. And, and they ended up asking him. They didn't ask him whenever I was there, but they were like, uh, who was that gringo that was, you know, taking all that stuff? Who was that white boy? And he said, that's my pastor. And they were absolutely amazed that I was a pastor because their version of a pastor is just somebody that just gets up there on Sunday and just talks and asks for money and, you know, stuff like that. They'd never seen a pastor that was willing just to not say a word and just be a pack mule for a day. And so I remember walking and I just kept thinking, I'm a slave for Christ. I'm a slave for Christ. I'm a slave for Christ, which got me to thinking that, you know, the Israelites, they were slaves their entire lives before Moses rescued them out of the promised land. I mean, here I was griping, moaning, complaining, poor pitiful me, because I had worked three quarters of a day doing hard, the hardest manual labor I've ever done in my life for a continuous amount of time. And these people did it their entire lives. There was nobody with a bull whip that if I needed to catch my breath, that I got a lash across the back. There was nobody kicking me. There was none of that. And here I am, poor pitiful me, poor pitiful me, poor pitiful me, which got me to thinking of a life that is very inspirational to me in the Bible. And his name is Caleb. Now, Caleb, just a real quick rundown. Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to scout it out and report back of what it was like. When the 12 spies, one from each tribe, uh, Caleb representing the tribe of Judah, which is where the tribe that Jesus came from, when they came back, 10 of the 12 said, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, it's a great place. It's, it's, got, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but it's also land of, of Rocky Mountains and giants. And, and we're talking about literal giants, maybe not the 30 foot tall ones, you know, like we see in the movies today, but we're talking about the sons of Nephilim, the sons of Anak, you know, 10, 12 foot men that probably weighed five, 600 pounds. I mean, there are literal giants in the land of Canaan and 10 of the 12 spies is like, it can't be done. Then they convinced all the other Israelites that it couldn't be done. So the Israelites start saying, well, we should have just died as slaves in Egypt. And God gets mad and God's going to wipe them all out. But Moses goes and he intercedes and he's like, God, don't wipe them out with anything. He did wipe the 10 spies out. They died of a plague right away. But the rest of them, he said, okay, I'm not going to wipe them all out right now. But for every day that the spies were in the promised land, they're going to spend a year wandering the desert. Now, I'm going to be honest. Even with all the Bible study that I've done, I've had that backwards. Because I always thought that they left Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Then they got to the promised land. The spies went in. And then all this stuff happened. That's not it. They left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They made a beeline and went straight to the promised land. They sent the spies in. They came back out. They said we couldn't do it. Nobody wanted to go in. God punished everybody. And he said, nobody over 40 years old, except Joshua and Caleb, because they reported back and said, no, we can do this because God said we could do it. It's the land that he promised us. He said, everybody else, nobody over 40 years old is going to enter the promised land. So they go out and they wander around for 40 years before they get back. And God gives them another, another opportunity 
to go through the promised land. This is part three of a four-part series called Uncommon Sense, okay? And I'm basing it off of Romans chapter five, verses three through five. Romans chapter five, verse three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials or in other words, suffering, okay? Now, when, when the Bible talks about suffering like this, it's not talking about the normal everyday stuff. We're not talking about stubbing your toe, you know, on the corner of the couch. We're not talking about going through a bankruptcy. We're not talking about going through, you know, a divorce or, or anything, the death of a loved one. All of that is common. Everybody's going to go through some type of hardship, some type of suffering that is common to man. But when the Bible talks about, for we can rejoice too when we run into trials and problems and suffering, it's talking about suffering for the word of God. In other words, being a Christian and being persecuted or having people, you know, talk bad about you or all of this stuff for doing the right thing and suffering for it. That's what Paul says when he says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. And we talked about that in Uncommon Sense Part 1. Then it says, for we know that suffering helps us develop endurance. And we talked about endurance last week in Uncommon Part two, you can uh, look it up on uh, our live stream page. You can go to savethecowboy.com, click on previous clinics, watch Uncommon Sense part one and part two if you missed it. And then it says in verse four, and endurance. So uh, suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to strength of character, strength of character. And there is no one with a stronger uncommon sense of character in the Bible. Other than Jesus, there's nobody with a stronger sense of character than Caleb. In Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 10, these are Caleb's words. Today, I am 85 years old. Caleb is 85 years old. Let me give you a rundown of his life. Five years, they have been slowly advancing into the promised land, okay? They've crossed the Jordan. Well, they conquered some people on the other side of the Jordan and now they've crossed the Jordan and and they've gone to Jericho. They've marched around it. They're working their way into conquering the promised land for five years, right? That is after the 40 years of wandering in the desert, which was after Caleb had gone in as a spy. So Caleb was about 40 years old when he was sent as a spy, well, that was the first thing that they did when they came out of Egypt after crossing the Red Sea. So what happened to Caleb the first 40 years of his life? He was a slave in Egypt. He was a slave in Egypt. God, through Moses, liberated them, took them straight to the promised land, chose Caleb to be the representative of the tribe of Judah, sent them in. He said, good, Joshua said, good. The rest of the 10 spies said, no, God punished everybody, sent them back out into the wilderness for 40 years. Everybody that was over 40 years of age, except for Joshua, Caleb, and Moses died. After 40 years, they go back. Then they start to conquer the land. So here we are today. Caleb says, he's talking to Joshua, who is now the leader in Moses' place because Moses has died. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as when... I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. 
you will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak, Anak, or however you say, A-N-A-K, that's the giants. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. Not just a, not just a big walled town, but we're talking about giants living behind these great walled towns. But if, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of somebody. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name. Starts with a J. So Joshua blessed Caleb and gave Hebron to him as his portion of the land. 85 years old. 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was 45 years ago when I was a scout. And 45 years ago, I scouted out this land and that's what I want. Joshua's like, done, cowboy. You can have it. Now he's going to have to go conquer it. But he's like, yeah, it's yours. Today, we're going to talk about four ways to develop Caleb's strength of character. And I just want to give a little bit of a, where credit is due. I did not come up with these four things. I put them in my own words. Um, But a a pastor named Greg Laurie, who's really good. I I enjoy listening to some of his, his stuff and reading his stuff online. He actually came up with these four things. So don't think that I'm as smart as I seem to be. But uh, I know Ty doesn't, but (laughs) don't worry, we don't. The first way to develop a character like Caleb had an uncommon strength of character is to follow the Lord 100%. You're like opening up a peppermint. (laughs) That's all right. Uncommon character. You got to learn to follow the Lord 100%. Because if you back up into verse 8 of Joshua 14, this is what Caleb said For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. You see something cool in that statement? For my part, I followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He didn't say my part was being a spy and representing these million people in the tribe of Judah, did he? He didn't say, um, my job was to kill, go and kill giants at 85 years old. He didn't say that. He said, for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. How many of us think that? I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as saying, well, you know, I, I'm the guy that talks on Sunday or so. my part is, is preaching on Sunday morning and doing this long Trans Cowboys discipleship program and all this. But, but, Caleb wouldn't have said any of that. He said, for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord. And if you want a strong sense of character, if you will make that your number one goal, not follow some religion that other people say, I'm talking about follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And how do you do that? You do things the way God says to do them. That's what living righteously, that's what it means to follow the Lord. Doesn't mean follow a a man-made rules. It means do what God said to do. You know, I I put on Facebook the other day, if it makes God sad, it's not going to make you happy. Man, go, go read the good book and there's a bunch of stuff in there that God says, man, stay away from this, stay away from that, stay away from this, stay away from that. If, if God says stay away from it, it's not going to make you happy. 
And we have all experienced that. But isn't it funny that we know that God says not to do that stuff. But yet, what do we do? We run right back to it for the instant gratification. Man, our part is to follow God wholeheartedly. Follow the Lord 100%. If you want to have an uncommon strength of character, that is the number one thing that you have to do is exactly like Caleb did and follow the Lord, your God, wholeheartedly. Not half-heartedly, not on Sunday morning, not when it's convenient, not whenever you know you run into a problem and you start praying so that God can erase all of your problems that you got yourself into. But follow him every single day of every single minute. That is my goal. And I promise you, I am nowhere close to that yet. I'm closer than I used to be, as my good friend Jay Kershey put it. I was once a wreck. Now I'm just a better wreck. But it's the better part. It's it's growing. We need to do that, man. I think most of us, man, we don't follow the Lord wholeheartedly. At best, maybe half-heartedly or semi-partedly, or part-partedly. I don't know. Thank you, Ty, or Caleb. Uh, Thank you. Four ways to develop Caleb's strength of character. Number one, you got to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Number two, you got to learn to stand your ground. Or better yet, stand God's ground. Because see, you know, Caleb went in. God had already said, this is the promised land. This is the land I'm going to give you. I will be with you. They went into the promised land. They only spent 40 days and most of that was just traveling and sneaking around. And then they came right back out and said, "Uh, can't do it. But Caleb and Joshua, they're like, well, yeah, it looks rough, but man, this is what God gave us. Why would he lead us out of Egypt? Why would he do all of these miracles, cross the Red Sea, drowned all of the uh, Egyptian army just to lead us up here for us to turn back and go? I mean, here's millions of people And they are all against Joshua and Caleb. They're all like, oh, we should have just died as slaves in Egypt. Not Caleb, not Joshua. Man, they stood their ground. Standing your ground for God doesn't make your life easier. I mean, he stood his ground and guess what he had to do? He had to do what the rest of them did. He paid the penalty. He went out, he had to go out and live in the desert for 40 years as well. Following God and standing your ground, man, doesn't always lead So like, God didn't say, well, hey, listen, I'm going to send the rest of them out in the wilderness for 40 years, but hey, here's a lazy boy. Here's the Netflix account. You just wait here for them to get back. Didn't say that. They had to go do it too. Standing your ground for God doesn't make your life easier, but it will make your life better. And better doesn't mean easier. I mean, look at that. He's 85 years old. Man, he's ready to pull a sword out and go whoop some tail, open up a can, right? Man, at 55, we want to retire. I can't wait till I'm 55, maybe 60 and retire. (laughs) Caleb's 85, wanting to go to war. He's like, man, I ain't going to slow down for this. Caleb was wanting to slay real life giants at 85 years old. And there's only like 70 people in here willing to get up on a Sunday morning to worship God. And I commend y'all for that. That's uncommon. It is uncommon. But this isn't the end, man. This is just the first step. The third way to have an uncommon sense of character is we got to learn to trust God. We have got to learn to trust God. In Joshua 14, verse nine, we just got through reading verse eight when he says, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord, my God. In the next verse, he said, so that the day Moses solemnly promised me, 
The land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord your God. We're talking about Moses said that 45 years ago. Caleb was still leaning on that promise, still leaning on that promise, serving God. Have you ever waited 45 years for a promise to be fulfilled? Maybe 40 years for a promise of God to be fulfilled? Maybe, have you ever waited 40 days for one of God's promises? Our desire for instant gratification, we're like, we pray one time, oh God, please help me. Well, I guess he doesn't love me. Man, he waited 45 years and willing to slay giants at 85 years old to claim that promise of God. And he did. He did because, you know, we think that God can do anything. Well, I know one thing that God can't do. He can't go back on his word. I mean, I guess he could, but then would he really be God? I mean, he, he's never going to go back on his word. Now, we can fail to go into the promised land. We can fail to claim that promise, but we've got to learn to trust God. I mean, Abraham, Abraham was like, what, 90 or 100? And God's like, uh, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And Abraham's like, uh, yeah, I'm like 100 and my wife is barren. <laughs> um, we better get busy, I guess. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> seriously, but, but they had faith. And guess what? God came through. He comes through. He's not going to come through until you really start trusting, not just waiting, but you're like, man, I thought this would have already happened, but he said it. I'm going to trust it. We got to learn to trust in God. God said he would always be with us. We got to trust that he is. We got to follow him wholeheartedly. We've got to stand his ground. We got to trust him. And lastly, we've got to want to ride the long ride. We've got to long to ride with God. See, the Hebrew word, see, I, I just got through telling you that, or showing you in the Bible where it says that Caleb asked for the land around Hebron. That means zilch to you. It means absolutely nothing. You've never been to Hebron. You've probably never seen a picture of Hebron. You don't even know where Hebron is. It's about 19 miles outside of Jerusalem. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it is the most beautiful piece of dirt that you've ever seen. Because that's all there is. There's like dirt and rocks. There's nothing there. But do you want to know what Hebron means in Hebrew? This is what it means. It means fellowship, love, and communion with God. See, Caleb didn't care if there was grass there. He didn't care that there was giants there. He didn't care if there was big stone walls to keep them out. What he wanted was fellowship, love, and communion with God. And if that's what Hebron meant, that's where he was going to go. It's also the place where Abraham came face to face with God. It is also the place where Abraham and the patriarchs are buried. Isn't it weird that they're not buried in the fertile valley of the Jordan, but up there in the rocks and the hard places. Because see, that's what I learned in Guatemala. Man, I saw God more on a mountain with a sack of sand on my back. I had a closer encounter with God on that mountain at 5,600 feet with everything in my being 
crying to quit and give up than I ever have standing on this stage. And you know what? You can have that, tame, that, that same type, that tame type of experience. Same type, I'm tired. You can have that same type of experience, but we keep looking for the easy stuff. We see, we want that ride, but we want it in that fertile valley with, with, you know, grapes that you have to carry between two people on a big lodgepole pine. Man, we don't want to go up there where there's nothing, where there's just rocks and heat, but that's where you'll find God. And you've got to want to ride with him in that. You've got to learn to trust him. You've got to learn to stand your ground. You have to learn to follow him 100%. That's what wholeheartedly means. With all of your heart, if you want an uncommon sense of character, an uncommon strength of character, man, that's the way you get it. On another occasion in Guatemala, George has a truck and a van like a little minivan and the minivan was in the shop. And so he walks in and he asked me and Ty, he's like, do y'all want to go get the van with me out of the shop? It's over in Chamaltenango or one of them and uh, another village. That was pretty good though. Impressed that I remembered that. And uh, so we said, sure, right? Yeah, we'll go with you. George looks at me and he goes, well, do you want to drive the van back? And I was like, no, listen, <laughs> Driving in Guatemala, road signs, traffic laws are just vague suggestions, okay? You do whatever you want. We're driving through, uh, through Guatemala City. We're driving through Chamaltenango, and, and George will take a sidewalk, right? He's like, oh, we got to get around this. Oh, like, what are you doing? I mean, he's he like barely missing people. And like, seriously, there's no stoplights. And people just like, well, let one through. The next guy will go through. The next guy will go through. Then this guy's coming this way. And the only time I saw George get mad is when somebody wouldn't go out into the intersection where people are going. He's like, you got to get out there. You got to get out there. I'm like, we're all going to die. And so George is like, do you want to drive the van back? I said, absolutely not. He goes, oh, Rolando loves to drive. And I was like, can Rolando drive? He's this tall. Do we have to take a booster seat with him or, you know? He's like, oh, no, Rolando's a good driver. I was like, there are no good drivers. So anyway, me and Ty and Rolando and George, we get in the truck and we drive to the shop. And then uh, Ty and George get in the van and me and Rolando drive the truck back. Well, Rolando doesn't speak English, and I know four words in Spanish, so it took a little while to to incorporate, you know, burrito and enchilada and and quesadilla into conversation, but we got it done. And so Rolando's telling me all about, uh, he had a sister that passed away at 16, and I mean, I can speak Spanish better than that, but anyway, so we're, we're talking back and forth. And so there was a lapse in conversation And this whole time, man, whether we're hauling stuff up and down mountains or, you know, me and Ty are having breakfast, Rolando's out on the balcony and he is sweeping the porch and using the broom to clear the cobwebs out and he's washing it off. He's walking around with a bucket, picking up dog poop. I mean, this dude never stopped. He never stopped working and I never saw him without a smile on his face. And so as I look over and Rolando's driving, right? He's about this far from the steering wheel. He's driving along and he looks over and he smiles at me. The universal, smile is the same in English and Spanish. And I told him, I said, Rolando, en los Estados Unidos está muy diferente. 
It's very different in the United States than Guatemala. And he's like, oh, see? Like, oh, yeah? See. Si. Como? How? And so I tell him in Spanish, I said, I said, Rolando, in our houses, man, we have two, three, maybe even four TVs in our houses. And he's like, oh, see? And I'm like, watch the road, watch the road. And he can't believe it, right? And I told him, I said, Rolando, we have so much food that it spoils and we have to throw it away. And he's like, oh, see? And I was like, watch the road. He couldn't believe it. He'd never thrown away a piece of food in their lives. And we got stuff going bad. I just junk it out. I said, you know what? In nearly every household from middle class up, I said, if somebody is 16 and has a driver's license, they probably have their own vehicle to drive. He said, los niños tienen un carro? You know, the kids have a car? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh my gosh. He can't believe it. And I said, Rolando, man, y'all don't have nothing, but y'all are happy. I said, we have everything. And we're sad and depressed. I was listening to a book named by a guy named Joe DeSena. He's the founder of Spartan Race. And he said, what once was a luxury has now become a convenience. And what was once a convenience has now become a need. Our lives start to feel like crap. Our societal response to this is to accumulate more and more and more stuff, thinking that it will make us happy, but it doesn't. Man, how true is that? What they would consider a gross luxury, we just think, ain't nothing. We sat there and ate. It was towards the end of the semester before three of the boys graduated from middle school. So they had like a celebratory dinner and it was a traditional Guatemalan meal. And we sat down and it had, it was basically a soup with potatoes, little bit of chicken and some other, like a green potato. It was delicious. It was like the consistency of a potato, but it was green. And those kids, you would have thought that it was Thanksgiving day because it had chicken in it. Man, we go get chicken nuggets and just, I mean, that's fast food to us. To them, it's a luxury. So I asked Orlando, I said, why is it that y'all have nothing? We have everything, yet we're depressed and y'all are happy. And he sat there for a long time. And when he finally answered me, it blew my mind with what he said. I couldn't believe it. And it changed the way that I look at everything. It truly does. And we'll find out next time what Rolando's told me.